Here's everyone does thing. it. If everyone's out freaking shooting people, or uh, uh, what? I'm just getting flustered. <laughs> okay. We've taken a wrong here, turn. Something. If we if we want to talk, you know, well, everyone's doing it now. Let's go back to Nazi Germany. Oh, oh everyone's shut up. All right. All right. All right. Turn All the right. mic off on the saying, other side. Andrew, Kevin, take his mic. Kevin, take his mic. Kevin, turn the mic off. Take a timeout right now. It's ridiculous to not play either to not play Mike Hart and Chad Henne. No, it's not. You don't want them hurt. That is not ridiculous at all. Someone take the microphone away from him. If they're that concerned about their health, you they should. Mike Hart shouldn't be getting 40 carries a game at any point in the season. He was healthy then. He was healthy then. I mean, it's you're just completely relying on revisionist history. That's Ryan Mallett's first start in the game. You want Ryan Mallett to throw the football against Penn State? No. You give him the Mike Hart, your fifth-year senior. Give him 40 carries. Let him run the ball at Penn State. Win you the football game. I mean, this was like our trip to Camp Randall. Thankfully, I was in a different car. <laughs> WCBN-FM, the Sun Ra Orchestra, and the Regents of the University of Michigan would like to remind you that truth is the most precious commodity. Demand the truth except no substitutes Uh, good evening, and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters here on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. And students are filing out. <laughs> Ann Arbor's going to change mightily here in the next week. And Barack Obama is coming to town. Yeah, there will be some uh, disruptions of traffic uh, as a big area shuts down for that. But uh, that's kind of exciting. Of course, the... University has been host to a commencement address by a chief executive uh, of the nation before when Bush the first spoke back in uh, I 91? forgot that. 90, 91 maybe 91 I think right around there uh, Mars and I were in New Orleans at the, the time so we weren't in town when it happened but remember he had some little heart palpitation or uh, little incident and was briefly hospitalized uh, rendering DQ top dog for about a 13 15 hour period uh oh <laughs> well i somehow missed that maybe that was the year i was sort of shuttling back between detroit and ann arbor and don't remember it at all but uh maybe it was seeing michigan stadium that <laughs> put the palpitations in the bush <laughs> He always seemed to have uh, health problems at big moments, you know, the infamous uh, oh. sushi incident. Yeah. 
in Japan. And, uh, well, his son is still an undeclared federal disaster area. <laughs> A walking federal disaster area. Well, next week we will preview the British elections. I think those are going to be very interesting. They've taken a kind of an American tone this year with the uh, televised debates. Mm -hmm. uh, first first ever. Yeah. And apparently the personality issues are dominating more than the issue issues. Turnout's going to be light and we can talk about some of the uh, uh, perhaps foreshadowing uh, that this election may have uh, relevance to the uh, American uh, midterm elections in a, in a certain sense uh, because Britain, of course, has gone through a lot of the same um, economic problems that America has. And in a week dominated by immigration, the sort of noxious Arizona law that, uh, mm -hmm. you know, is sort of a bizarre um, sort of bad policy approach to the real problem of immigration and immigration reform probably part of the election cycle itself mm. uh, sort of tapping into teabaggerism and whatnot uh, and mining disasters um, I don't know how uh, probable it's going to be that we're going to have offshore oil drilling anytime soon uh, given the sinking of this uh, I believe it was a British petroleum mine that exploded in Louisiana, and this thing is uh, off the coast of Louisiana in the Gulf of Mexico, and it is le leaking a significant amount of oil. Uh, and its uh, ultimate, uh, you know, the oil spill, and what happens to it is uh, sort of based on the whims of the currents mm -hmm. and the uh, you know the, the winds and the very difficult to predict or anticipate. Yeah, and it could affect a uh, large section of beach. Uh, pretty much between Texas and Florida. Uh, we will see what we will see. Well, and another aspect, of course, of, and of last week's big disaster. story yeah. of the involving the unforeseen and the uh, unanticipated and surprising how crippling the Icelandic volcano eruption was to international travel. Indeed. And, of course, there's an economic uh, aspect to that as well. At Iceland is now called Ashland. <laughs> Well, the the big running joke of the week was that the name of the volcano was virtually unpronounceable yeah. to anyone familiar with things like vowels. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was an amusing name, and I don't even know how yeah, it's I'm, pronounced. Even if, if it was right in front of me, I, I think it was just called the volcano. Yeah, after a, a day or so. Uh, but a, a columnist in the Financial Times uh, wrote a little piece here. Of course, a lot of international uh, journalists were disrupted in their uh, abilities to get to and from uh, locations and home uh, with business and government and all sorts of uh, typical tourist travelers. Uh, but a guy named Tyler Brule writes this. When China's rail authorities recently announced plans to build a high-speed rail link connecting Beijing with London, I had to pause and wonder who would be booking passage on this Eurasian Super Express. Well, the answer he arrives at uh, another paragraph and a half later is that lots of people when air travel no longer becomes possible. And in fact, if such a lengthy rail line at a high-speed uh, rail link were to stretch such a vast uh, expanse of territory, 
there would be that many fewer flights. And, of course, nobody's going to argue, uh, well, some might, but I'm not going to argue against air travel. It's become normal. It's become uh, essential to the, you know, smooth flow of uh, the economy and uh, just human interaction. But when you think about how many planes take off and land in and out of just Detroit Metro Airport a day, flights going to Africa and Asia and Europe and South America and all of the airports all over the world, that's so much fuel. And it is such a uh, subsidized uh, mode of transportation, heavy government subsidies for air travel. Surely this high-speed rail really is the right idea. Yeah, and I think that the disaster emphasized the importance of rail because this is how a lot of people that were, quote, stranded in continental Europe got back to Britain. Yep. And, of course, the trains were sold out. You couldn't get a seat anywhere. Uh, and it underscores why America needs to go in this direction. Boy, this this guy even proposes a Montreal to uh, Buenos Aires train line. You know, such a thing should be possible. Should be possible, and someday it probably will. It's interesting that the Chinese government, of course, invested in a high-speed rail um, project many, many years ago uh, with the assistance of German engineering, mm-hmm. you know, allow the Germans to build the uh, the actual tracks that was basically a magnetic coil system yeah. that linked Beijing and uh, Shanghai uh, to one another. I believe it's about 1,300 miles, and this was going to reduce... Uh, trains were going to be able to go 350 miles an hour, and apparently you could make the journey in a relatively modest uh, three and a half hours or something. And, uh, of course, you know, who knew that uh, African flowers and African flower production would be affected? You couldn't fly flowers into Britain from Kenya. Car parts uh, were affected, and uh, it had impact on uh, some... Uh, manufactured products that uh, are flown in because there is obviously cargo that goes by plane. Mm-hmm. And uh, needless to say, uh, one would be surprised even to, to realize that much of the fish we eat in the United States is flown in. Yep. So it's uh, a serious situation that uh, once again, as I put it last week, underscores... Over-reliant on... Over-reliant, and as Warren Buffett put it nobody has ever made a dime flying people around the world <laughs> um, because they are very heavily subsidized in many countries by the government and needless to say there's more discussion of a bailout uh, for airlines that were losing uh, something like 200 million dollars a day collectively and of course they were bailed out essentially after 9-11 when air traffic was mandatorily shut down for was it a week a yeah. handful of days so <clears throat> wouldn't be the first time. Yeah, and if you uh, want to see the uh, deleterious impact of airplane uh, travel just in this area, someday, late in the afternoon, look up at the sky, uh, pr- preferably uh, looking west, you'll see all of the trails, all of the, the air contrails, the yeah. contrails that are basically, uh, you know, this is uh, these these are clouds that are created by uh, air travel so to speak the exhaust has to go somewhere (laughs) and it's down down (laughs) down 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 um i forgot to bring in the name of the uh, state senator running for the uh, u.s senate seat held by harry reed but when she articulated a uh, 
Return to the old days in which you pay for health care with chickens. <laughs> I thought to myself, what planet does this woman live on? What century does she live yeah. in? Um, like everybody had chickens that they just carried around with them. <laughs> well, I mean, leaving aside the fact that I think it's like 1.3% of Americans, quote, live on farms uh, today. Uh, how many of them have chickens in their backyard is is unknown. Well, something like a barter system is noble and admirable and functional on a small local level. But even then, if you're a teacher, say, for example, and you work for the schools, you don't have a chicken to trade for a good or a service. Right, and chickens are... I'll teach your kid. Well, I'm already teaching your kid because they go to the school. Are so inexpensive. I mean, just yeah. ironically, I roasted a chicken on Wednesday night. <laughs> and, of course... I bought the chicken at a local supermarket on discount because it, you know it was supposed to be sold that day. Mm. So there's nothing wrong with the chicken. Um, I think I paid like three sixty for a, a whole chicken <laughs> that I roasted, and of course turned into a couple of meals. Several more meals, than a yeah. couple. I mean, you know, I turned it into chicken soup, chicken and dumplings, <laughs> one uh, meal of roast chicken with uh, rice and vegetables. Um, how much health care can you buy for $3.54? <laughs> I mean, this woman is still defending this uh, two weeks later after she's been made the butt, the chicken butt, <laughs> of many a joke. So, uh, yeah, health care can be now quantified in chickens, I guess. Um, and how many doctors and or nurses or nurse practitioners or OBY... Uh, physicians, a radiologist, or whoever will uh, take chicken in payment <laughs> is unknown. <laughs> there are a number of messy problems associated with the uh, traffic of large numbers of chickens, of course. I mean, so give me liberty or give me a chicken. <laughs> American history can be rewritten <clears throat> in honor of chickens. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Well, of course, Benjamin uh, Franklin did uh, put forward the idea that the turkey should be the national American yeah. bird. Maybe, I think maybe he was onto something there with regards to future currency reform. <laughs> well, he was a he was a gourmandizer. Indeed, he was. Yeah. I think the bald and eagle, a practical joker as well. So. Yeah, I think the bald eagle probably was a better choice. <laughs> uh, and by the way, my mother, who our grandmother, who. Uh, lived in uh, Baldwin, New York, they were allowed to have chickens. And this was back during the Depression when people had chickens in the backyard. And uh, you basically had chickens to get through the Depression. I mean, it was a sensible Well, didn't city council recently allow uh, Here in Ann Arbor. zoning for people to have small numbers of chickens? Yeah. No roosters. No roosters. No crowers. Uh, Rush Limbaugh is on AM radio for that purpose. <laughs> Oh, boy. Well, uh, I'm sure a slew of chicken jokes are going to emerge for, uh, throughout the rest of the campaign about what you can buy with a chicken. She gets a brain damage award, and I forget her name. I'll try and get it, bring it in next week. Uh, she's a candidate, not, not uh, Harry Reid's opponent yet. And uh, it's interesting how the Republicans are predicting... And even pundits are predicting predicting rather large uh, gains for their party uh, in the midterm elections. I just wanted to 
cite a couple of statistics and data that may uh, put these gains at a very minimum, because I think the Republican Party has a lot of problems with this Tea Party movement. It is sapping money. Oh, it's a real splinter. Yeah. Energy and rhetoric uh, away from their message. And um, while the economy is not uh, out of the woods or into the black, <laughs> so more under the thumb. Um, recent data would uh, not bode well for the Republicans. I just wanted to point out some of these uh, numbers that were in an article in today's New York Times that are rather interesting. In March, retail sales were up 9.1%. New home sales were up 26.9%. And by the way, that new home sales uh, number should be taken with a grain of salt. That is part of a rush at the last uh, second to take advantage of tax uh, benefits uh, mm-hmm. that were part of a government program that's uh, been uh, underway the last year and year and a half, roughly. Intel sales up 44% in the first quarter. Durable goods, which is a very reliable uh, thing to look at, up 2.8% in March. And exports between January and February, uh, due probably more to the weak dollar than anything, were up 14.8%. Those are numbers from last month. That That last one particularly good. Show improvement, um, and there is some evidence that things are improving. In addition, uh, this is fascinating, Um, the headline being Democrats' top GOP and fundraising for midterms. And basically this is a uh, sort of first quarter report. And uh, this article by Carl Hulse, according to party figures, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee uh, raised nearly $10 million in March compared to $8 million for the uh, National Republican Congressional Committee. House Democrats ended the first quarter with $26 million in the bank compared to $10 million for the Republicans. In the Senate, the Democratic Senate, uh, Senatorial Cam- Committee raised $6 million and had $17 million in the bank, while the National Republican Senatorial Committee took in $5.1 million and had $15 uh, million available to spend. And, of course, there's been all this focus on Michael Steele's blunders, uh, the recent... Uh, what was it, a lesbian bondage <laughs> parlor out there in California that uh, money was being spent on and somebody had to fall on their sword and resign. But this is just a microcosm of a lot of PR problems that he's been having. And uh, then it emerges, of course, last week that the SEC, during 2007, when they were supposed to be watching the bank robbers, and we can get to them in a second, was watching porn on the internet. <laughs> Busy day. The regulators were uh, more than asleep at the switch. <laughs> they were charged up at the wheel. And to quote a uh, interesting uh, comment from a recent article by Benjamin Freedom entitled Two Roads to Our Financial Catastrophe in the April 29th edition of the New York Review of Books, in which he analyzes the financial crisis, goes into the problem with derivatives, the hedge funds, and has the interesting comment. uh, So many years ago, my employer, Harvard University, decided to become a university with a hedge fund attached, or maybe the idea was to be a hedge fund with the university attached. Either way, 
the project came to a bad end. To paraphrase Nixon on the Keynesians, we are all hedge funds now. And furthermore, he writes, our inescapable principle highlighted in the recent financial crisis in the United States is that a democracy gets the regulation it chooses. If voters elect public officials who do not believe in regulation, and if those officials appoint people of like mind to lead the key agencies that make up the nation's regulatory apparatus, then there will be ineffective regulation no matter what the prevailing statutes say. And, of course, needless to say, um, the financial reform package that's uh, trying to go through the Senate, the House has already Mm -hmm. passed this. The Republicans are filibustering this. There was a cloture vote today. It failed. So we're going to be talking about financial reform now uh, until one of them cries uncle, is tired of the subject, or realizes this is damaging the party. Um, that think they're gaining huge tracts of land in the Senate and the Congress this year. We'll see. Yeah, it's a... uh, Could burn their hands a little bit. Could burn their hands. And, of course, needless to say, Goldman Sachs uh, is implicitly being defended by the GOP at this point. Mm -hmm. And we've now learned from this uh, recent SEC lawsuit against Goldman Sachs filed by the Obama administration, not the Bush administration that was watching porn, (laughs) um, that Goldman Sachs set up a financial product on behalf of a hedge fund manager named John Paulson that he created. It was basically a product. He wanted a bet. In other words, to think of the infamous um, way these these uh, futures and derivatives market work, Goldman Sachs is the bookie. They're the broker. They cut a deal. If you want to bet on the Lakers in the NBA Finals and I want to bet on the Celtics, they set the deal up and they take the commission for setting the mm-hmm. deal up. If I bet $100, and this is all illegal, of course, uh, except in the state of Nevada, uh, where apparently you can submit a chicken for medical care, According, and place a bet on who the next pope will be. Yeah, um, you know, I bet a hundred, you bet a hundred, and if you lose, you pay a hundred and ten, and the bookie, i.e., Goldman Sachs, pockets the the difference. Now mm-hmm. Goldman is claiming they lost money, but uh, we're now <laughs> finding out that this is not the case, and um, this is what is troubling. The financial crisis and the reason that there had to be a, quote, bailout was that the system was being bailed out. Um, the consequences of not bailing out the system are unknown because we bailed out the system thanks to Henry Paulson, not to be confused with mm-hmm. John Paulson. Henry Paulson used to work at Goldman Sachs. But the investment banks, when the hedge funds were demanding their money from Bear Stearns and Lehman Brothers, they collapsed. That didn't damage the uh, American economy, so to speak, in the sense that you know the people who invested money in their stocks lost their equity. Bear Stearns' stock was trading, for instance, in 2006 at $175 a share when it was when uh, J.P. Morgan bought up the uh, remnants of the company. They paid two dollars a share. So people lost some serious money, including a billionaire from Britain 
who basically lost $3 billion of his $4 billion fortune. He still has a billion. <laughs> He's okay. He's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, keep an eye on this and understand the difference between insured deposits, which is the FDIC, mm-hmm. And the investment banks like Goldman Sachs, they're not the same thing, and people want to link these banks all together, and investment banks are not commercial banks. And one of the reasons that the Volcker rule is being used in the proposed legislation, so to speak, is he wants to get back to Glass-Steagall, in which these functions are separated. The reason that Washington Mutual had to be merged into one of the bigger New York commercial banks is the FDIC did not have the money mm. to pay off the depositors. Washington Mutual, which failed in the September financial crisis in the United States, had $195 billion of insured deposits. FDIC had $55, million, $55 billion. I think I said million, I meant billion. $55 billion. The difference, they can't bail out those, those depositors. And as we all remember from It's a Wonderful Life, when there's a run on the bank, like during the Depression, small banks, people were coming in to get their money, and the banks are like, God, we don't have it. It's over there. It's in, over in, there. In John's in, store. Yeah. It's that scene where, you know, Donna Rice, or uh, Donna, Donna Reed. Donna Rice. Donna Reed is able to pay out a little bit of money here and there while Jimmy Stewart is... Telling the depositors, you know, you can't take it all. Just, you know, here's $20. And she's paying it out. She's paying it out. And what do they do? They get the door shut. It's Friday afternoon. They got two bucks left. (laughs) And then they celebrate. And it's a great scene. You know, and it's a movie that we all know and love. And it's probably one of the more clear articulations in American culture of this complex system that operates beyond most people's imaginings exactly the average everyday person who works their job puts their check in the bank pays their bills you know moving their family along as best they can these are things that we just don't understand and so it's easy for the american people to be confused misled intentionally or not uh in all of these very complex uh and and subtle uh machinations of the international World of banking. Yeah, and one, and the problems is, you know, the fundamental problem is in the last 30 years, the global system of economics has become too complicated. There is no global regulator of these capitals. One's so quick and immediate, too. And with, trades are with made electronic immediately. Electronic trades, yeah. yeah. And it's very difficult um, to appreciate why this is such a bad thing. The insured deposits are the problem. And when they talk about this too big to fail and putting these banks down to size, they're talking about a system in which taxpayer money is not used to bail out the banks. The bank's money is used to bail out each other. And remember, by the way, that these banks borrow money from each other overnight. We learned this during the LIBOR crisis of September. If you watch CNBC or any of your respectable newspapers, they'll sometimes print these LIBOR rates. These are overnight loan rates in which banks borrow money from each other. And they're very low interest. They're they're super short-term loans. Super short-term. They're like, I need money tonight to cover things. And because of the international time zone that we learned from 
Around the World in 80 Days. <laughs> Nixon's favorite movie. <laughs> well, Patton was his favorite movie. <laughs> well, yeah, Patton's his favorite, but he showed uh, he, he Around the World yeah. in 80 Days more times than he any did. other film he uh, did. while in office. I don't know why. <laughs> it's a good movie, but uh, based on a classic. <laughs> it's a crowd pleaser. It's a family film. It's a family film. In fact, I... Uh, I have an amusing Nixon story. I don't know if we have time to get to it, but it's how he rigged the telegrams in support of the mining of Haiphong uh, 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 Harbor during the Vietnam oh. War, in which he funneled um, $8,000 of illegal campaign cash money to buy telegrams, and Colson is reporting to Haldeman, well, that... Western Union offices closed in Vermont. And Haldeman tells Colson, well, we got to find out some other way of getting those telegrams out. So Nixon, you know, comes out on television and pats himself on the back on the back for the telegrams in which he claims the American people are supporting his policy. And he's sending the telegrams to himself. <laughs> it's a classic. It's it's tricky dick all over again. Oh, boy. With one of uh, Nixon's cronies, one of all the president's men, claiming we never did anything honestly. <laughs> Talk about rigging the system. Oh, boy. Tricky dick. Well. he's an amusing president. Indeed. Yeah, the comedy has yet to be written. Tricky dick, the musical. Of course, Oliver Stone's movie was disappointingly... Uh, Psychological. I didn't want to feel sorry for the man, but the film actually did succeed in making me do so. Uh, Secret Honor might be the better uh, actual full-on attack. Um, speaking of full-on attacks, uh, things uh, look like they're going to get worse before they get better in Iran. Uh, Iran has banned two reformist parties and prevented uh, former President Mohammad Khatami from leaving the country. Uh, a commission affiliated to the Interior Ministry, which is responsible for overseeing political groups, said that two parties uh, were no longer allowed to conduct political activities. Uh, the country's independence and national unity are at stake. And so the uh, Green movement will continue to bubble over. And speaking of popular uh, fomentation, we got two minutes left on the show uh, today, thanks to our engineer Tex there for... Passing the word on. Um, large protests in Okinawa. And, of course, this has been going on for decades now, really. Uh, 90,000 90, people out uh, to protest. Uh, delicate maneuvers by the Japanese government, the uh, Democratic uh, Party of Japan, trying to not offend the United States, but also to respect the wishes of the people of Okinawa, who, by the way, most Americans probably don't realize this, that Okinawa accounts for 0.6% of Japan's total land area, but is home to 75% of the territory occupied by U.S. military bases. Mm -hmm. That's a staggeringly disproportionate ratio, and I, I'm almost convinced that this is a pathological obsession on the United States' part to avenge Okinawa. The fighting on Okinawa was so fierce and so terrifying and mm -hmm. horrific in scale that I think that the United States military decided, damn it, we are never letting go on this one. Right. Too much blood. And so the bases there have done nothing but grow and grow. And, of course, there's been all sorts of petty crime and rape and, and other problems with marine bases uh, in such close proximity to 
regular civilian housing. It's a problem, and it's got to be moved. Yeah, and it's interesting that just a couple of months ago, as I think we're running out of time here, the Japanese finance minister, and this is dated uh, the 13th of March, said Friday um, that an investigation revealed that Tokyo had seized